Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I don't know. Maybe because of COVID, I can't wear heels anymore. Like, they're just not my jam. So I don't think they're as comfortable. And if they're (laughs) supposed to look like trees, probably less comfortable. Yeah, heels were never my jam. Yeah. But I like to see it (laughs) on other people. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is Living Legends. We will be talking about ladies who are alive and over 80 years of age who have contributed to their professions and continue to inspire us to this day. Literal living legends, icons. This week, we are talking about the self-proclaimed geriatric starlet herself, Iris Apfel. I'm Jessica Rogers, rocking my favorite She Builds podcast shorts based out of Miami, Florida. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rar, wearing my favorite She Builds podcast sweatpants from San Francisco. And I'm Nurjeri Rivas with my favorite She Builds podcast baseball hat in Houston, Texas. Time for our disclaimer. We are not experts. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find as friends having a fun conversation. If you find an error, send us an email, and we will all continue learning. All right, listeners. So I know what you're thinking. Iris Apfel, that old lady that's in, like, all the fashion magazines, like, uh, hello. Like, what about architecture? Why are we talking about this lady? Well, I will have you know that before all of this iconic fashionista things— She was a textile designer and interior designer. So, tune in. Ooh. Oh, hey. I can't wait to hear about how Iris ties in more. Mm Mm-hmm. Color me curious. Mm. Oh, yeah. This lady's colorful, so it's going to be a lot of color for your curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Okay. So, our story begins in Astoria, Queens. Iris Barrow was born on August 29th. 1921. She was the only daughter of two Jewish farmers. Her mother, Said, came from Russia, 
and owned a small fashion boutique. And her father, Samuel, was an entrepreneur who was a supplier of mirrors and glass. Wait, farmers in Queens? Mm -hmm. Were they early urban farmers? Or maybe they were farmers in Russia before coming to the U.S.? Hard to say. I just feel like Queens doesn't have a lot of farming opportunities from what I remember. Yeah, and I don't think rooftop gardening wasn't that popping at the time, probably. Well, that's exactly (laughs) why I'm asking. Yeah. (laughs) I believe that maybe they were farmers in Russia before immigrating to the States. That's I haven't been able to confirm it, but that's my assumption. Got it. Anyway, so at an early age, Iris loved to play with old fabrics at her grandparents' house. She was obsessed with things with a lot of colors and textures. She recalls that every week she would take the subway for a nickel and visit different sections of New York, like Harlem, Yorkville, and Greenwich Village. And to quote from an article in The Guardian, Iris would say, I really fell in love with the village. The village was where I started to poke around antique shops and become enchanted with all this old junk. Ooh, I can imagine her as a girl, like, going around to all these different shops and finding treasures, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's real cute. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Jane Jacobs, too, because Greenwich Village. I guess we had to be there. Mm -hmm. It was a time. Yeah. So— Iris would study art history at NYU and also attend art school at the University of Wisconsin. Iris getting her education on. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, though, Wisconsin is a surprising pivot. But okay, Iris is a badger. (laughs) Yeah. So after graduating, Iris would work as a copywriter for Women's Wear Daily. It was a highly respected fashion magazine. Later, she would work with the renowned interior designer Eleanor Johnson as her assistant. But maybe not so famous because I could not find anything on this Eleanor Johnson person. Like, I I, I couldn't. Hmm. So I don't know how famous she was. Maybe she was very private. Yes, privately famous. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, maybe her work wasn't properly publicized. There you go. So that's why. Also very possible. Yeah. But I did find some future ladies that would be great for future episodes. So, Nice. (laughs) But what I do know is that, so Iris's role, right, working with Eleanor Johnson and would be to handle sourcing for rare items that Eleanor would use to dress or decorate apartments that they would then resell. Mm. So I guess it was like basically like early house flipping. Mm, Interesting. It sounds like Iris is learning about the business side of things, too. Mm-hmm. It's cool to hear that she's getting this experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And varied experiences as well, like not only business stuff, because she would also work as an assistant to Robert Goodman, and Robert Goodman was an illustrator. And then she was a correspondent at Grossinger's. And then she would work at a resort where she would help guests decorate their living spaces or summer homes. Yes. I am imagining it. The Catskills, baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's getting all sorts of experience. Yes. Okay, so in 1947, Iris would meet Carl Apfel at a resort in Lake George, which is located in upstate New York. Iris says in an interview, Our first date was Columbus Day. Thanksgiving, Carl proposed. Christmas, I got blamed. Washington's birthday, we were married. So, yep, Carl. (laughs) And this is all uh, when she got married was February 22nd, 1948. What a whirlwind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like, what a timeline of events. Carl and Iris meant business. Yeah, I like that it was very linear. Just like, no nonsense. One year. Like, bam, 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 bam. Or that they all <laughs> went, it was holiday-related, all of it. <laughs> I mean, you'll never forget, I guess, <laughs> those milestones. So, listeners, there is a documentary on Iris on Max that is really nice. There are probably several, but I bring it up because she talks about her wedding and, of course, the fashions of her wedding day. Also, the appearance of her hubby makes his little debut during the documentary, and it's just so cute. Cute! What's the name of the documentary? It's called Iris, so just like her name. I watched it on Max, but actually I think at the time of this recording, it's not available on Max anymore, but it's on available on Peacock and Amazon Prime. So ah. that would be something for listeners to check out. Okay. I have put it on my watch list. Yes. So with Iris's experience working in interior spaces and fabrics, in 1950, she and Carl would start the company called Old World Weavers. This was a textile company that specialized in restoring furnishings for homes. Okay, so now I have a quote from Carl about her and the business. He says, She had a very big decorating business. I would go along with her. I'd take my little toolbox, hang the pictures, and I got a kick out of it watching her make something beautiful. Y'all, if my future husband isn't like Carl, I don't want him. They are just <laughs> so sweet together. Like, I... Everyone should get themselves a Carl. <laughs> That's adorable. I'm imagining him with, like, the little toolbox. I love it. Mm-hmm. Also, Jessica, I like your qualifications. You know, <laughs> it's good to let men know what your expectations are. It's important. That's right. Be upfront. Amen, sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just so cute together. They're so supportive of one another. And their business was really cool. Like, they would travel the world sourcing fabrics and restoring the antique fabrics for, like, museums, like the Met. Oh. Their travels would include sourcing fabrics and antiques from, like, the souks of North Africa to, like, European flea markets. I feel like Iris's career would be this constant dance between fashion and interiors, which I guess is where textile lives, right? Like, in between the two. Mm. Well, I say that because she is working on sourcing textiles for homes, but she's also sourced fabrics for fashion designers like Estee Lauder and fashion icon slash Hollywood actress Greta uh, Garbo. Man, that is so fancy. The Met, Hollywood, world traveling. I'm so impressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool how she vacillated between those two areas of design. Like you said, it makes sense that with textiles, you could tow that line and jump back and forth between those two areas. Mm -hmm. So their company was interesting because it was set up to replicate historic fabrics that they would find in their travels, like 17th, 18th, and 19th century rare fabrics. Iris and her husband were able to replicate and produce large formats and scales for them. Currently, I'm getting into textiles at work a little bit, so it's kind of fascinating to see that. Um, her primary clientele were museums, as I mentioned, but I can imagine boutique hotels or like very eclectic homeowners wanting to work with Iris and the Old Weavers Company. Very fancy. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. So with textiles, Iris would redecorate old furniture pieces. Like some of our ladies, there were some specific fabric designs that she wanted that she couldn't find. So Iris ended up designing some textiles herself. If you can't find it, make it yourself. Mm -hmm. Life mantra. 
Her business was a success. A fact that I thought was interesting was that for a while, Iris would be the interior designer for the White House. Like, she would work under nine presidencies. What? Yes. So she would do the interiors for presidents like Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and Bill Clinton. Whoa. Her nickname would be First Lady of the Fabric <laughs> and Our Lady of the Cloth. Oh. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> other clients would call upon Iris to give the Apple touch in their spaces. Our Lady of the Cloth? <laughs> I can't. But whoa, that seems like a really big deal to be essentially the interior designer version of the architect of the Capitol or something, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> that's what it feels like. Yeah. I also wonder if the First Lady of Fabric ran into Dorothy Draper when Dorothy was working with Jackie O. Ooh, okay. Actually, Ooh. I was wondering if we were going to bring this up because I read right before this recording that Iris and Dorothy did work together or like they crossed paths in their... Nice. Nice. Okay. So in an interview with Iris, another one that I read, Iris recalls her time uh, working for the White House when she worked with Jackie O. So this is actually really funny. Okay, so typically... A lot of the first ladies were pretty easy clients, but, you know, they're not too demanding, but enter Jackie O, oh. the Miss Fashion Icon of her time, right? So Iris says that her experience working with her, quote, she, referring to Jackie, employed a very famous Parisian designer to gussy up the house and make it real Frenchy, and the design community went bananas. After that, we had to throw it all out and start again. And then she later talks about First Lady Nixon. So apparently she didn't like Jackie O, but she liked the Miss Nixon because she would say like, but I did like Miss Nixon. She was lovely. So <laughs> there's a story there, but I didn't get too much into it. Mm, I drama. Naturally. Yeah. So Iris would have this leading luxury fabric company until 1992 when Carl and Iris would, quote, retire. Retire? This feels like a lie. Yeah, we know they didn't really retire. Yep. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if, if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. <laughs> <laughs> the official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, 
or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. Turn your architectural designs into stunning, immersive experiences with Enscape. This innovative tool integrates seamlessly with your design software to bring your ideas to life in real-time 3D and VR. With Enscape, you will experience instant rendering, have the ability to make design changes on the fly, and present your projects in stunning detail. Ideal for architects, designers, and anyone passionate about visual storytelling in architecture. Dive into a new era of design visualization with Enscape. Visit Enscape3D.com to learn more. So, even though they sold the company, Iris would continue to work as a consultant. But not much is said about her life after that. So, okay, let's step back. Iris's experiences with traveling were really cool, right? She and Carl would make all of these connections with the dealers. They would open their showrooms and doors at odd hours just to accommodate Iris and Carl. Of course, it wasn't just fabrics that they shopped for. Iris always was down to shop for herself and Carl, honey. She would buy jewelry and vintage designer pieces like this Dior coat, the early Chanel, you name it, she got it. A fashion icon. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you gotta look the part. True. I mean, yes. So I say this because after 1992, we don't really hear about Iris and Carl and what is happening in their lives because the majority of their careers were spent traveling. They decided early on not to have kids. Uh, She definitely was drawn to living in a very unconventional domestic lifestyle. Uh, Regarding children, Iris says, I don't believe in a child having a nanny, so it wasn't what we were going to do. But also having children is like protocol. You're expected to have it, and I don't like to be pigeonholed. I like that she was self-aware enough to make that choice for herself. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But also, it must not have been easy, you know, during that time for her. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really glad that they knew what they wanted and that they were united in that decision. Like Jessica said, they sound like such a great couple. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So as far as we know, Iris is retired, living her best life. And at the age of 83, a man by the name of Harold Coda approaches Iris in 2005. Harold is the curator of the Mets Costume Institute. So the museum had scheduled an exhibition, but the exhibition fell through. And at the last minute, they were looking to create a show with a wonderful story. And to Iris. I'm not sure where this is going. Yeah, is this a show about Iris or a show done by Iris? It was both. Oh? Yeah, so the show was originally supposed to be about Iris, but the pieces that were curated and selected were all curated by Iris, and she collaborated with the designers there. But it was both. She did it. And she contributed to it. Oh, okay. I would be so self-critical. Like, that sounds really hard, but also a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun, but I also think that with a person like Iris, you have this, like, 
sense of confidence that there's no room for self-doubt. She's like, I don't know, but it looks cool, so I'm going to do it. Sure. So that's, that's how she rolls, man. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you see, the iconic style that we know of Iris, that's been her her entire life. Like, vintage pieces, one-of-a-kind pieces, all accumulations of her world travels were put on display at the Met on September 13th, 2005. The exhibition was called Rara Avis, Selections from the Iris Apple Collection. So this exhibition would highlight everything that made Iris iconic, from her oversized tortoiseshell glasses to her whimsical patterned coats and colorful chunky costume jewelry. Rara avis means rare bird in Latin. Harold would describe Iris in this quote saying, Iris is an artist. What she uses, all her clothing and accessories to do is compose a new vision. That for me is creativity. I love it. Man, I wish I could travel in time and go to this. That sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same. The museum would describe the exhibition by saying, an American original in the truest sense. Iris Apfel is one of the most vivacious personalities in the worlds of fashion, textiles, and interior design. And over the past 40 years, she has cultivated a personal style that is both witty and exuberantly idiosyncratic. This exhibition was everything. I feel like for me and probably the rest of the world, this is an exhibition that would introduce the rest of the world to Iris. Like, I hadn't heard about Iris until I heard about, like, this exhibition on this old lady. But what's important to know is that this was the first time the museum had an exhibit about clothing and accessories that focused on a living person who wasn't a designer. Talk about recognition. I knew that she was a trailblazer, but this is like even more than I could have imagined. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so cool that she was the first person they had recognized in that way and that it probably really put her on the map. Because like you said, even though she and Carl had a successful business, it wasn't in the way that today Iris is known so well as an mm -hmm. icon, right? And it sounds like it started with this exhibition at the Met. Yes, exactly. She was having a renaissance, you might say. Ooh. Oh, yes. Very much. Very much so. Before Beyonce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think Iris, she probably could have been famous or well-known in the industry, the interior design industry during her time. But in that, like, 13 or so time period between the time she retired and, and until 2005, she wasn't that well-known. And with social media and the exhibition, it's as if everyone was rediscovering her and her work. Yeah. yeah. For me, social media has been key. Like, that's how I really learned about her. Mm -hmm. I actually follow her on social media because mm -hmm. a rep at work told me that they admired her and— now, Iris is one of my favorite accounts to follow. Yes. Nice. It's cute. I mean, it's cute. I, she's so funny. I love her. <laughs> so what we know of Iris, well, before this episode, what we know of Iris, started in 2005. Like, what we know of her now is that she became this, like, fashion icon. She would attend fashion shows. She would consult on projects. She would lecture and she would teach. This exhibition was, yeah, like Renaissance. It basically launched a second career for her. I love it. See, I didn't believe for a second that she was retired. <laughs> yeah. Jessica had me going there for a second when she kept going on and on about traveling. I was like, oh, maybe she did retire. But I was just waiting for the other professional shoe to drop. 
Oh, and she keeps on being not retired, okay? Because in 2012, she launched a line of handbags. In 2013, she was included in the list of 50 most fashionable women in their 50s, even though she was, like, in her 90s. Um, (laughs) Iris has a line with the cosmetics brand MAC. Uh, Her slogan is, Beauty Beyond Age Limits. She has her own line of jewelry called Iris Apple Jewelry. Just so much. So many different things. Get it, Iris? Yes. All right. Okay, so in 2015, a documentary was released about Iris and Carl's life. It's basically a mini-biography on them and on this exhibition. What's to note is that this same year in 2015, Carl, at 100 years old, just a few days before his 101st birthday, Carl would pass away. Oh, my Lord. Mm. 67 years of marriage. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad that they had so much time together because it sounds like they were such a good team and made each other really happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. But like Nergidi said, I'm so glad that they had so much time together. Yes. Okay, so currently, at the age of 102, Iris is still doing Iris. She consults, she lectures, and in 2018, she wrote a book called Iris Apfel, An Accidental Icon. In 2019, she was signed to IMG Modeling Agency, and she's done countless collaborations. I mentioned a couple of them already, like her Mac collab. Just a few days before she turned 100, she created a capsule collection of eyewear with Zenny Optical. It was also called the Iris Apple Zentennial Collection. Ooh, Jessica, I hope you get to read the book before the wrap-up and then tell us about it. Well, first time show and tell, I got the book. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah, it's really cool. So it's not your traditional biography. It's more like a scrapbook. I'm halfway through, but that's, I was skimming through it right before we started recording. And that's when I noticed the Dorothy Draper, like, section. So I'll have to keep reading it. It's, It's nice. It's colorful, just like her. If you like the maximalist, colorful thing, it's a great coffee table book. So I'll report back on our wrap-up. Uh, great. Musings of a geriatric starlet. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I just love that book title and the tagline. Yes. I'll also have to read it. So Yes. Also, yay, Zenny. I have a friend who used to work at Zenny, mm-hmm. and she was there when they were working on this collection. So she got to meet Iris. So cool that your friend got to meet her. Yeah. All right. (laughs) We are at the second half of our episode, The Carrioted. And this is where we select a woman living today who's doing her thing, furthering the profession, and whose work continues to hold the profession up, just like the Carrioteds, or columns shaped like women, found on Greek-style buildings. So, without further ado, this week Carrioted goes to... Iris Van Herpen. Iris and Iris. This is like a She Bills podcast first. The first time we have tocallas. In Spanish, that means people that have the same name. Mm. Our karyotid Iris is a Dutch couture fashion designer. All right, so what stood out to me, besides the fact that her name was also Iris, is that 
This iris works with architects to create textiles. Mm. She is considered to be one of the first fashion designers to use 3D printing in her collection. So she's worked primarily with Dutch architects, obviously. One of her collaborators would be Rem Koolhaas. Together, they would create 3D printed high heels that looked like tree roots. Whoa, that is so cool. I am obviously picking up the connection between Iris and Iris. Yes. I wonder how those shoes feel. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. Will you have pictures on the show notes, Jessica? Yes. And images of her 3D printed fashion. Okay. Okay. So before we say see you later, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music and John W., our technical producer. And most of all, thank you all for listening out there. Remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of the projects we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Iris and Iris along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professionals. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your fashion icons, your eyeglass wearers, your world travelers, your people in love. Tell them all. Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. Write us a nice review. This all helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website at shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast, and on X, formerly known as Twitter, at shebuildspod. Until next time, bye! Bye! I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. 
And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.